The legends of the American Mafia are woven into the fabric of American society and pop culture. We've all seen the movies or heard the stories of the men of this secret society. They're stories of family, power, wealth, respect, greed, betrayal, violence, murder, and mayhem. While the golden age of the mob may be over, the stories have become lore, and the names remain as infamous as ever. You're listening to the Members Only Podcast, hosted by history buff and mob aficionado Jacob Stoops. He tells the true crime biographies of real-life mobsters and dives deep into the plots, subplots, and real facts behind Cosa Nostra, as well as popular mob films and television shows. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of my now three-part series on the basics of the mob. I am your host, Jacob Stoops, and I'm a longtime history buff and mob aficionado. Since there are a lot of new listeners, let me give you a rundown of what this podcast is all about. Over the coming weeks and months, my goal is to tell the true crime biographies of real-life mobsters and dive deep into the plots, subplots, and real facts behind Cosa Nostra, as well as popular mob films and television shows. If that is of interest to you, I'd love it if you'd like and subscribe to my YouTube channel to get the latest updates as new episodes are released. Also, if you're someone who'd rather listen to just the audio version, you can find my podcast on most podcasting platforms. But of course, the main ones are Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Stitcher. Uh, I've got a few other submissions pending on some additional platforms, but the main ones should be covered. So you should be good to listen wherever you get your podcasts. The YouTube version of the podcast is going to have more rich content, images, videos, and of course, my beautiful face. But if you'd rather hear me than see me, uh, I 100% understand and you wouldn't be the first person to have that opinion. Uh, that being said, if you listen and share with your friends and family to help me get the word out and grow the show's audience, I'd definitely be in your debt. Uh, as with last time, we're going to do a few additional call-outs uh, before we get into part two. Uh, number one, I just want to thank everybody who has commented on the show thus far. Uh, I'm kind of a one-man army, and this is a passion project of mine. It does take a great deal of time to put the show together. So to get the number of views and listens and comments that the show has thus far... Uh, it's been really rewarding. I've gotten some really great reassurances that you've enjoyed the content and also some really good constructive criticisms that are 100% valid. Uh, just a quick side fact, I am from the Midwest and I 100% know that I can't pronounce Italian names for shit. I'll get better, but you're better <laughs> uh, at enunciating than me, most likely, uh, especially if you're Italian. So go easy on me. Uh, some of these names are, are just names that I've just never practiced saying before. So please go easy on me and just know I'm from the Midwest. I'm not used to, uh, you know, speaking in an Italian dialect. Uh, and then number two, uh, after this level setting episode series is over, I'll be getting back to doing more gangster biographies in the upcoming weeks and months. And my plan is still to focus on people that are lesser known. Uh, I've gotten a few great suggestions already and I'm building a schedule. So if you have someone you'd like to see, 
uh, covered, you can simply leave a comment on YouTube or you can email the show at membersonlypodcastshow at gmail. That's membersonlypodcastshow at gmail. I'll be building a pretty robust schedule. So if you want to get your person in, uh, send me an email and I'll see what I can do. Okay, so on to today's show. If you remember from last episode, some of my viewers had asked for a sort of primer episode on the American mob. So I decided to do a basics of series to set the table for anyone who's not as well versed as the hardcore mafia genre listeners that exist out there in pockets. Uh, A lot of you hardcore (laughs) genre people have listened to the show, but some uh, of my listeners really they're hearing some of this stuff from the first time. Uh, So in part one, we covered the origins of the mafia, how the mafia came to America, the black hand, as well as how prohibition really served to propel the development of the mob forward. We ended with the mob really being on the precipice of the Castellamarese War, uh, and that's where we'll pick up today. So if you haven't listened to part one, this episode will still be able to stand on its own merits. Uh, but if you want to start at the beginning, including the origins of the American mob, I definitely say cut over and listen to part one first and then come back to part two. As for this episode, we're going to kick it off with the Castellamarese War. Uh, we'll talk about rules, regulations, the mafia's structure, uh, and we're going to discuss mob-related verbiage and answer a few other things about the American mob. Based on the amount of material we have to get through, we'll also be doing a part three next week. I wasn't initially sure how many parts this would end up being, but it's looking as if it will be a three-part series in the end. Okay, so there's a ton of ground to cover, so let's get started with part two. When were the American uh, Mafia families officially established and by whom? Okay, so during the late 1920s, a bitter gang rivalry arose in New York between two primary factions. So one faction was headed by Joseph Joe the Boss Masseria, who at the time was the most preeminent gangster in New York. Uh, The other faction was led by one Salvatore Maranzano, who, along with every member of his clan, hailed from Castellamare del Golfo in Sicily and who had been sent to New York in 1925 on orders from Don Vito Cassio Ferro in a bid to take over the mafia in the United States. Uh, So kind of a bold ask. Uh, So, again, this is uh, deep into prohibition at this time. Prohibition had been going on. Uh, when Maranzano gets to New York uh, for about six years, right? So, uh, you know, families and the structure is kind of already in place. And then he comes in uh, and he's kind of a disruptive force uh, in New York. So Joe the Boss is already kind of the established boss. And he comes in with orders from Don Vito Cassiofero uh, overseas with this grand idea of, hey, we're going to go take over the mafia in New York. Well, problem is when you get here uh it's not like the people who are already in power are just going to let you take it right so there's friction uh and both groups were positioning themselves to take uh over kind of overarching control of all underworld factions in order to consolidate their power right so this is like a big game of monopoly uh on a giant chessboard that is new york and ultimately becomes the entire country 
So as a result of this tension, uh, and as we kind of covered in the Tommy Gagliano episode, uh, the entire New York underworld was kind of forced to pick sides. It was either uh, it was either directly at war, directly enemies uh, between the two groups, or you were on the verge of it. There was kind of no uh, straddling the fence, being in the middle. Uh, Masseria and Maranzano were each attempting to take control of the underworld, each with the support of various street gangs and mafia contingents, right? So they had uh, each side kind of was was working on getting their own allies and getting kind of the political uh, portion of the game kind of going in order to build up strength to eventually win, uh, win the conflict and, and control New York. Uh, so earlier uh, on in the in in the friction, I don't want to say the conflict, uh, but the friction, because uh, the, the actual conflict doesn't actually start until 1930. But earlier on, uh, Masseria kind of had the stronger uh, group of the two. Now, as time went on, he begins to lose key allies uh, to either death or defection. His allies are, are knocked off or they just straight up defect. Uh, and so the war starts in 1930. Uh, and by 1931, uh, Masseria is nearly finished. Uh, and we'll go deeper into the Castella Marese War. There's so much. Uh, if you want to listen to kind of some of the uh, some of the insight and the behind the scenes, go listen to the Tommy Gagliano episode. We will do more. Uh, my plan upcoming is to do an episode on another one of those original bosses that was kind of right in the mix, Vincent Mangano. So we will go deeper. This is just scratching the surface. Uh, but if you want to know. Uh, the war ends in 1931 when Salvatore Maranzano conspires with Masseria's top soldier uh, and um, the person that would become very, very famous in mob circles, Charles Lucky Luciano. And they conspire to have Masseria killed. Uh, so Luciano betrays Masseria. Uh, and the result, the end result after Masseria is killed is that Maranzano emerges as the most powerful mafia boss in the nation, and he becomes the first leader of the organization that is now uh, known as Cosa Nostra. Uh, and uh, another quick side fact, that is lingo that I guarantee that you probably don't know if you're not familiar with the mafia. So the public refers to uh, this kind of organization that we're talking about as mafia. The mafia refers to itself by the word Cosa Nostra which roughly translates to our thing or this thing of ours in Italian. Uh, this originated as a way for them to identify other members and to kind of speak in code without the fear of law enforcement being able to kind of understand what they were uh, talking about, especially because the mafia was known and well-established in Sicily. Nobody really knew uh, that it had come here at the time and they wanted to keep it that way. It's a secret society. So after the Masseria assassination, Maranzano worked with other gangsters to set up the modern day mafia and put many of the foundational elements in place that became critical to the syndicate's success throughout the 20th century. Uh, it's at this time that he establishes the mob's code of conduct, which we will get into next episode. He sets up the family divisions in the structure. And then he enacts the procedures for resolving disputes. Uh, and we'll talk about what that is called as well. Uh, and this is also where the modern day five families of New York are kind of more formally put in place. Uh, so another side fact, uh, and you would know this if you go back and listen to the Gagliano episode, uh, the New York five families uh, are called 
the Genovese, the Gambinos, the Lucchese's, the Bonanos, and the Colombo families. However, they didn't originally have those names. Those names only came into use uh, at a later point in mob history. So when Maranzano established the families, they were called the Luciano, Scalise, Gagliano, Bonanno, and Profaci families, with Maranzano himself serving as Capo de Tutacapi, or boss of bosses. And unfortunately, it's this power move by Maranzano to name himself boss of bosses that ultimately leads to his own downfall. Just five months later, uh, so the Castella Marese War ends with Masseria's death. Uh, you know, they have this, this big conference uh, with all of the gangsters kind of across the nation. Uh, Maranzano presides over it, right? And he sets, these found he sets the foundation in place. He sets the rules in place. But it's kind of an uneasy time uh, in, in the history of the mafia. Uh, because, at, you know, what you don't know is he had made Luciano certain promises. Uh, and he broke those promises. And we'll eventually kind of talk about it. But just five months later, uh, infuriated by the betrayal, uh, and this is speaking uh, uh, as Luciano, uh, and he's infuriated by the betrayal. And he finds out that Maranzano is way more old school than Masseria was. And we'll talk about Joe the Boss uh, being very old school, not wanting to deal with uh, non-Italians. Not only that, not wanting to deal with non-Sicilians uh, and just basically being um, backwards, not with the times. Lucky wanted to, he wanted to make it about uh, business, making money, not about old world vendettas. He didn't care who he worked with. He wanted to work with Jewish people, Irish people, uh, African-Americans, anybody that could help the organization make money. Charlie Lucky wanted to work with them. Uh, and then when, uh, you know, he, he didn't really care as much about power. He didn't care about trying to preside over the entire underworld, right? What he cared about was making money, sharing, uh, sharing profits. And what he also realized is that all of the, the, the infighting and the on the street, you know, dropping of bodies that was happening during the Castella Marese conflict was bad for business, horrible for business, because it created, uh, you know, law enforcement pressure, visibility in the public, which again circles around and creates law enforcement, law enforcement pressure. So, uh, you know, this was the opposite uh, that he wanted, and in the boss of boss titles, he wanted to do away with that. He he thought that it was too vain, uh, it alienated people. Uh, and he didn't like the idea of one person having control and dictating, you know, what everybody else was going to going to do. So this meeting happens and Luciano is pissed. Meanwhile, Maranzano does not trust Luciano. Uh, he doesn't trust Luciano either. Uh, and again, this is getting kind of deeper into some of the politics. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about how the mafia, as it stands today, actually comes along. Maranzano actually puts out a hit contract on Luciano and Luciano finds out about it. And uh, Luciano being kind of the master strategist, he kind of moves first. Uh, he moves first. He sets up Maranzano. Uh, Maranzano had moved his kind of headquarters uh, to kind of an office kind of in downtown New York. Uh, and they were very, uh, Maranzano's people were very worried about uh, getting picked up for tax evasion, right? Uh, or, or just any offense. So they stopped taking guns to the office. And what happens is Mer uh, Luciano 
uh, finds out that, that a contract has been ordered. Uh, and he goes to his, his pal, Tommy Lucchese, uh, and they figure out a way to get to Maranzano. Uh, he finds out, hey, they don't carry guns in their office. They're worried about feds coming in and uh, in, in tax agents coming in. Uh, and so he just, uh, you know, he, Luciano also is friends with a guy named Meyer Lansky, a Jewish gangster who has connections to hitmen. Uh, and they conspire. They send these people dressed as tax agents to Salvatore Mar Maranzano's office. Uh, and they have Maranzano assassinated. So when Maranzano is assassinated, Luciano calls another meeting, right? Similar to the meeting that just had happened five months earlier. And this is where he becomes kind of the preeminent figure uh, in the United States underworld. Uh, so after the Maranzano murder, Lu Luciano, at this meeting, he decides we're going to keep the same five family structure. Uh, he believed that it was practical, uh, but he wanted to make a few key modifications. Uh, they also allowed, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, families in other cities. Uh, this, his grand vision was to, uh, along with Maranzano, I think they both agreed, was to make this thing, our thing, a national syndicate. And not only that, to have the rules across all families across the entire country be the same. Uh, a consistent set of rules. So so the playing field was leveled. Everybody knew the rules of getting in the game. Uh, but he brought, Luciano brought some innovations. So first, he got rid of the title of boss of bosses. Now, he was clearly the first among equals. Uh, but, you know, he sits down at that table with the other bosses. Uh, and you can see it kind of in Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if this is actually what was said. He said, there's not one boss. There's five bosses, right? So uh, this was a huge thing that he was willing to not be so vain and prideful that he was willing, even in his position as the victor of this, this conflict between these two kind of behemoth, uh, you know, mafia figures, uh, that he was willing to lay all that down uh, and share share in the profits uh, with everybody and give everybody kind of an equal amount of power. Uh, and it's this, in my opinion, that sets the, you know, sets the stage for much, uh, much later on. And it sets the stage, quite honestly, for peace, uh, because that's what he wanted. He wanted uh, no violence, no bodies in the streets, and he wanted peace. And then second, uh, and this is probably the most striking innovation uh, this did not come, I don't think, from anybody uh, but Lucky Luciano, probably with Meyer Lansky, uh, you know, underneath it all. Uh, he created what's called the commission uh, in which each of the bosses of the five families, as well as a handful of other families around the country, uh, they would use the commission as a way to handle disputes between families before things uh, would devolve into bloodshed, bloody gang wars. Uh, and again, like I said, at this time, they kind of established kind of a national syndicate. Uh, they, you know, installed and instituted the major rules. Uh, and then the thing about the commission was all of the major decisions that had to be made, they all flowed backwards to the commission in New York. Now, the commission, I believe, uh, had the five New York families, Chicago, uh, and it's kind of shifted over the years with who's on the commission and who's not. I believe Buffalo uh, and Magadino was on the original commission, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, maybe one other. But you've got, you know, through the entire country, many, many families 
Uh, and they all are looking back to the commission for major decisions to be made. Uh, so, of course, minor decisions are handled at the family level. But when it came to major policies that were going to be enacted, a great example was a ban on drugs. Uh, major policy changes were dictated in New York primarily by the commission. Uh, so it was Joe Bonanno. And uh, again, um, I shared this in the last episode, but I think it's a, a, an excellent perspective here. So Joe Bonanno, he was an original boss on the original commission. He shares this from his autobiography, uh, a book entitled A Man of Honor. So once again, the leaders of my world realigned and repositioned themselves according to the new political reality. Charlie Lucky's star was on the rise. Stefano's star seemed undiminished and perhaps even enhanced. Scalise's star fell. Scalise had been too close a supporter of Maranzano. With Lucky's rise to power, Scalise became a liability to his family, which didn't want to antagonize the powerful Luciano and his cohorts. Scalise was replaced as father, uh, again, that's another name for the boss, by Vincent Mangano. Uh, therefore, the five New York fathers were Luciano, Gagliano, Perfacci, Mangano, and me. I was a newborn star. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, in 19, so to answer the question, that was a long way to answer it. Uh, the modern American mafia was founded 1931, the, the, the mafia that we know today. And the person who is most widely credited, uh, with it, uh, I would say is Charlie Lucky Luciano. The person behind it was Salvatore Maranzano. The person that put the structure in place, he doesn't get as much credit, uh, was Maranzano. Charlie Lucky kind of modernized it, added some innovations on top. And I would say uh, he's the one that made it go. Uh, if it wasn't for the respect that he had, I don't think it would have lasted as long as it did. Uh, the original bosses of the five families in New York, of course, were Luciano, Tommy Gagliano, uh, Joe Perfacci, Vincent Mangano, and Joe Bonanno. It's also worth noting uh, that that was the families as they stood in 1931. Uh, the families themselves evolve, uh, as things do, over time, and some even take on new names. In fact, I believe four out of the five families take on new names. So the Luciano family eventually becomes the Genovese family. The Gagliano family becomes the Lucchese family. The Manganos become the Gambinos. The Profaci family becomes the Columbos. And only the Bonanno family retains the original name from its boss in 1931. Okay, so now that you know when the American Mafia families were officially founded, uh, who founded them, and the circumstances, I think the next natural uh, question is wanting to know, uh, are there more Mafia families outside of just New York City? New York City, of course, is the one we talk about most frequently, uh, but are there other families uh, across the country? Uh, and of course, the answer is yes, there are mob families across the entire country, even still today. Uh, what I will say is while some have gone defunct since their original formation in 1931, uh, at one time or at various times uh, throughout history, there have been up to 26 individual families in various cities and states. 
1933, there were documented to be established families or mob contingents in Baltimore, Boston, Buffalo, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Kansas City, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Miami, Milwaukee, New Orleans, New York, of course, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Providence, Rhode Island, Pueblo, Colorado, San Francisco, San Jose, Scranton, PA, St. Louis, Tampa, Tucson, Arizona, and even Youngstown, Ohio, of all places. Uh, and I think the, you know, the, the question that should follow that is, why are there five families in New York and only one family in all of these other areas? Uh, and what I would say to that is, while New York isn't a geographically large region, it has historically been kind of the center of the universe for the mob. Uh, if you've read Joe Bonanno's book, Man of Honor, he liked to refer to New York as the volcano. Uh, so when Joe ultimately uh, leaves New York and goes out to Arizona, he would often say he's leaving the volcano. Or when he was coming back, he would say, I'm going back into the volcano. Uh, volcano being kind of the biggest place, the, the most high pressure, uh, you know, high stakes place that there is kind of in the American mafia world. Uh, the reason that the five families took hold in New York is pretty simple, and I kind of explained it in part one. Uh, historically, due to immigration, other economic and social factors, New York, uh, New York City has both been a hub for wise guys, and not just that, but a hub for world commerce. Uh, in the Big Apple, uh, there's quite a concentration. There's just a higher concentration of available rackets and a larger number of wise guys available to work those rackets than in other cities who may be geographically larger, but are economically and ethnic, ethnically smaller uh, for various reasons. Uh, even today, New York City has the largest population in the United States with almost double the next closest. So it does make sense uh, that this would be where the biggest contingent of mafia membership and families are. Okay, so we have spent an inordinate amount of time talking about how the mafia evolved, where it came from. We've referenced uh, uh, an organizational standard, some basic rules. We've talked about ranks. We've talked about getting your button made men. Uh, but we actually haven't clarified what those rules and structures were that were put in place. Uh, at the founding of the American mob in 1931. So let's dig into what exactly are the basic rules uh, and what are the ranks of the mafia? Okay, so first let's touch on the ranks. I wanna explain how uh, a family is laid out. Uh, the organization of an individual mafia family is very hierarchical uh, and actually quite similar to a pyramid scheme. Some might call it the ultimate pyramid scheme. The money flows up uh, think Amway, except they kill you. <laughs> uh, the structure as it stands even today was originally put in place, of course, as you know, by Salvatore Maranzano uh, and remained as a practical way of doing business when Charlie Luciano eventually took over in 1931. Maranzano himself was a student of history and was fascinated by the Romans and so took the inspiration for his setup directly from the configuration of old Roman legions, which were highly organized, hierarchical, and contained very clear delineations for various levels and roles. Uh, that's more of a side note on where the structure came from. Now, here's how a mafia family lays out. So for each family, 
you have a boss or godfather who is the leader of the organization and responsible for the family's overall direction and policy decisions. Most bosses in New York and a few other regions throughout the U.S. sit on the commission, which is basically the national ruling panel. Uh, in the hierarchy of the family, the boss, of course, is the one who makes the most money. Uh, he is at the top of the pyramid. After the boss, you have the underboss, who is essentially the second in command of the family. This is the second highest attainable role in any crime family. This is a very, very respected position. It's kind of like being the vice president uh, of the family. Uh, so after that, the third ranked member of most families is something called the consigliere or the counselor, whose role is to advise the boss directly. Typically, the consigliere exists slightly outside of the hierarchy, and their role is almost completely at the discretion of each family's boss. Sometimes they have people reporting to them, sometimes not. It kind of depends on how the boss wants to use them. In some cases, the consigliere role is a figurehead role, while in other uh, cases, it's a very serious position with a high degree of autonomy and respect. Uh, I think uh, where you will see in Hollywood, the consigliere be uh, best represented, but also most inaccurately represented would be in The Godfather. Uh, that would be Robert Duvall's character, Tom Hagen. Uh, he played the role of consigliere throughout uh, the first film specifically. Uh, now, what is inaccurate about that is, of course, uh, he was Sherman Irish. Uh, and as we'll get to later with some of the rules and regulations about even you know being eligible for being in the mob, uh, he was not Italian. Uh, ergo, he could not you know, really actually be the consigliere in real life, but it's the movies. Uh, okay, so kind of going down the hierarchy, under the administration, you have a group of made members called capo regimes, also called capos or captains. Uh, each captain runs a crew of soldiers and associates. Crews can range from 10 to 30 or more, or maybe in some cases a little bit less, uh, individuals depending on the size of the family. Uh, the capos can probably be equated to VPs if you were looking at this like a traditional business organization. They are a very, very important middle layer between boss level and your soldier level uh, that, that really makes the family and the organization go. And then after the capos, under the capos, I should say, uh, you have a soldier. And a soldier is kind of the lowest ranking type of made men, but they are still very powerful in their own right. Uh, being made means you've been initiated and are in the inner circle and belong to an actual crime family. You know, made men, uh, soldiers are kind of the workhorses of the mob, and they are the ones who are really responsible for handling the day-to-day -day activities and the crimes. Uh, and of course, the goal uh, with all of these levels is to insulate the boss. Uh, it is to create layers of insulation to go higher. And the high, I, I would just say the higher you go in the mob, the less, quote unquote, work uh, that you have to do. Uh, you are providing the overall strategic direction, but you're not necessarily uh, as a boss, underboss, and sometimes capo. You're not necessarily being the one uh, who is responsible to execute the day-to-day -day crimes. That typically falls to soldiers uh, and people below the soldiers. In order to be inducted or made, there are a few kind of well-known boxes that a prospective member must check. Number one, you must be of Italian descent. Uh, it used to be that both of your parents had to be 100% Italian, but now uh, it's just important that you be Italian uh, on your father's side. Uh, and this is just a way for 
the mob to kind of qualify candidates, thin out the uh, potential pool of candidates, uh, and to really hone in on people that they believe from a from a values and a family standpoint represent the type of people that they want in their organization. So again, it's just kind of a weeding out process. Uh, and then number two, uh, you must have either killed for the family or have been a big earner or both. Uh, the requirement for killing uh, for the family is something that isn't always followed nowadays. Uh, but at the beginning, uh, that proviso was kind of taken a lot more seriously as it showed a certain commitment to the mob lifestyle and tied a person to the family through blood. Nowadays, the requirement leans uh, a lot more heavily towards being able to make money and be a big earner for the family. Uh, and killing, quite honestly, in the mob today just happens uh, a lot less frequently. Okay, going back to kind of the, the overall hierarchy. So you've got boss, underboss, beside the underboss, consigliere. Underneath that is a group of capo regimes. Uh, in the New York families, there can be anywhere from, you know, eight to, to 20 capos, uh, depending on the size of the family. Underneath the capos, of course, are a group of soldiers. Uh, each soldier is assigned to a capo regime. Uh, and all of that money flows upwards to the boss. Uh, so that's the last layer of initiated members. After that, you do still have people connected and doing things for the crime families. The next level down the pyramid is what's known as an associate. An associate is someone who is working on behalf of the family, but who is not an initiated made member. Associates are people who are quote unquote on record with the family, meaning they work specifically for the family, but are just not a member and do not have the privileges of even the lowest ranking made man for the most part. Associates can range from non-Italians who run the gamut of low level to very high functioning and almost as respected as actual made men or capos. Some examples of very, very high level associates who were highly respected by the mob, but simply not made would be, of course, Meyer Lansky, Jimmy the Gent Burke, famous from the movie Goodfellas, and uh, another guy named Joe Watts, uh, who was very famous in the Gotti era. These are guys that didn't have the status uh, in terms of you know being made, but were essentially functioning at a very high capacity just without the official title. Uh, in, in, you know, those specific cases, uh, they were accorded uh, a lot of the different levels of respect that an actual made man uh, would have received. Uh, they just didn't have the title. Associates can also be part of other criminal organizations. Over history, Jewish mobsters have been prominent, uh, especially at the founding of the mob. And more recently, you've got Russians, Albanians, Greeks, and other non-Italian gangs that have been associated with various crime families. And the most important layer of associates are those of Italian heritage who are sort of auditioning to become a made man one day. Before you enter the crime family, you must first exist as an associate of the family and prove your worth before you can be made. Associates who meet the basic requirements to be made are put through kind of a, a twisted apprenticeship uh, before getting inducted that can last as little as a year or can take as long as 20 to 25 years uh, in some cases before an associate is officially a made member. And probably the last layer of the pyramid involves people who are simply connected, meaning that they have various connections with the underworld but aren't officially tied to a family. If someone is an independent hoodlum, it's highly likely that they will eventually come under the thumb of a family depending on where and how they're operating, but it's not always the case. 
Typically, what will happen is someone will begin their life of crime, attract the notice of the local wise guys, and eventually one of the wise guys will put in a claim uh, to make the connected hood an associate or member uh, of their crew. Uh, this will basically ensure that any criminal activities that the hood is partaking in will have uh, a percentage of their money and their earnings kicked up the line uh, and into the family. The goal of most mob families is to really control the, the activities uh, so that no uh, associates or connected people are doing things that are outside of the purview of the family. Uh, the goal is kind of a, uh, to have a monopoly over uh, whatever they're doing. And quite honestly, you know, most independents that get out of line, uh, if they do not get in line with what the family is wanting them to do, they get killed. Uh, they, it's, it's just as simple as that. They get killed. Uh, and there are a lot of instances of this. Uh, Philadelphia with Nicky Scarfo, great instance uh, of this, where he, once he became boss, asked, uh, you know, the underworld within Philly uh, to pay a street tax that they had not been previously paying under Phil Testa and Angelo Bruno. Uh, and when some people uh, who were not members of his family balked at that, he just killed them. So... Uh, very important, uh, of course, <laughs> when you're an associate or, uh, you know, somebody who is connected, uh, if you're doing some sort of criminal activity, uh, the mob is going to find you at some point and make you pay. And if they don't make you pay, they'll just kill you. Okay, so that's the basic structure of a mafia crime family. It's worth noting that the crime families uh, have had a fixed number of members allowed since 1931, with new members only being initiated to uh, replenish the ranks. Uh, this was an effort, uh, and it was something put in place by Luciano to ensure that no family could grow too large. Uh, it was really meant to keep the peace, establish balance, and an equitable distribution of profits between families. Okay, so we've covered the uh, hierarchy and the structure of families. So now let's talk about the basic rules. Uh, as mentioned, these rules were set in place again in 1931 during the official formation of the modern families. Much like a lot of other organizations, to be a member of the mafia comes with rules and stipulations. These rules, which were originally meant to be secret, have come out uh, over the years through informers and have been somewhat perpetuated both accurately or inaccurately by pop culture, movies, TV uh, shows, and even documentaries and internet shows like, like this one. Uh, hopefully I'm not perpetuating any uh, inaccurate, inaccurate rules, but uh, really just trying to lay things out for you so that you understand kind of the guidelines that that uh, members of organized crime, specifically the mob, have to operate under. These rules are really meant to ensure that the organization remains secret uh, and that those within the organization clearly understood, understood the code of conduct and the penalties associated with breaking said rules. In short, these rules are what keeps everyone in line uh, because the penalty for breaking the rules, uh, of course, is death. A lot of death going on <laughs> in the mafia. Don't break the rules. Uh, there is a documented case in recent history where actual physical evidence of the quote unquote rules was found. Uh, in 2007, a Sicilian mafia boss named Salvatore Lo Piccolo had his home raided by the Italian police. And in the process of the arrest, they found a list of rules written down on paper. 
That's that. I mean, which to me, that's insane uh, that a boss who is supposed to be kind of so steeped uh, in the mafia lifestyle would actually commit anything from the society to paper. Uh, that is a killing offense right there. Right. So that's probably the stupidest thing that, that he could have done. Uh, and it's surprising, given that this person was supposedly a boss uh, and a boss in the Sicilian mafia, which is a lot more harsh, in my opinion, than the American mafia. Anyhow, uh, this list is commonly referred to as the Ten Commandments of the Mafia. It's a bit apples to oranges, as this is specific to Sicily, uh, and the American mob is a separate organization altogether. But honestly, it's not that far off from the rules and the regulations that you'll hear uh, or that have been made public by former members of the mob or informants. So let's start at the top. Rule number one. No one can present himself directly to another of our friends. There must be a third person to do it. Uh, so basically what this means is that one made member uh, and another made member, uh, potentially in the same family or they can be different families, they cannot go up to each other and acknowledge that the other person is made. The only way that this can happen, and this is uh, a very tactical and strategic thing within the mob to keep membership and to keep who was in secret, even amongst members, uh, was to have a third party, a third made member, a third quote unquote friend to go up and make the introduction. This happens uh, all of the time. Uh, and this is kind of how business is done. And, and it's a way to keep informers and police out. Uh, so basically, no one can present himself. If you want to meet another made, made man, uh, or you know, to do business or to, to have a sit down, you need a third made man to introduce you in order to make that happen. Uh, so rule number two, never look at the wives of friends. Uh, again, this is a very important aspect of the American mob and really it's meant to eliminate any quarrels that might happen. I'm not saying that this is one of those things that, that never happens, but for whatever reason, the, the concept of family and wives is kind of held sacred within the mafia. And it is a, it's a little bit um, hypocritical, uh, you know, for most mob members who are known to, to be philanderers or mistresses. Uh, but it is something that, uh, you know, is taken very seriously in the mob. And it is to really, you know, avoid conflict that happens with these tales of the heart, you know, these types of things. Rule number three, uh, never be seen with the police or any any member of law enforcement. Uh, that is a big no-no and that is something that is taken incredibly seriously in the mob. Uh, your job, of course, as a member is to keep the organization secret and protect the organization. The only time as a member that you should ever be seen in the presence of police probably uh, is when you're paying them off, again, which probably shouldn't be seen or when you're being arrested. Uh, but if you are spotted by an associate or a uh, connected person, another uh, another member of the organization, uh, and you are somehow linked to potentially having conversations with the police that might lead them to believe that you are an informer, you'll be killed. Uh, you'll be killed outright. There are a lot of cases uh, of people who maybe went into the courthouse and were seen exiting the courthouse, whether they had good intentions or bad intentions, whether they were an informer or not, just because of that suspicion of being seen in a place where there are police, where you might be talking, uh, that's enough to have you killed, even the suspicion of it.
Uh, rule number four, don't go to pubs and clubs. I got to say, uh, maybe this is a thing in Sicily. And really what this is all about is keeping low key. Uh, some, some of the most successful mobsters, uh, your Tony Accardos, your Carlo Gambinos were well known uh, for not frequenting, you know, bars, pubs, clubs, social clubs, whatever the case may be, uh, that much. Uh, and really, it was an effort to stay out of law enforcement's radar to not be surveilled. But I have to say, this is not something that I've heard that is followed very closely in the American mob. Uh, there are many, many cases, many, many mobsters. I, I mean, you see, even you see it in the movie Goodfellas. Uh, it is well known that people in the mob Part of the reason to go into the mob is so that you can live that kind of glamorous gangster lifestyle, which involves going out to nightclubs, hanging out in bars. Uh, part of the way that they do business, of course, they get their clientele from uh, from going into into bars and finding finding people that are hard up. So uh, I really find this one to be just inaccurate. Maybe it's accurate to the Sicilian mafia, but not in the in the U.S. Uh, and again, probably the best example of somebody breaking this particular rule would be John Gotti. He was well known uh, for his presence in the New York nightlife. So this one you can just take with a grain of salt. So number five, always being available for Cosa Nostra is a duty, even if your wife is about to give birth. Uh, and I think that this one is one of the ones, unlike the last one, that is absolutely true. Uh, when you become a made member, even an associate, uh, and you're committed to that lifestyle and you are a member of the family, it is not a Monday through Friday, nine to five job. It is a 24 seven obligation to make money on behalf of the family, to propel the family forward, to do work for the family, be it three in the morning or three in the afternoon. If you are called to a meeting, no matter what time of day, if you do not drop everything and go, your life is forfeit. And that is, you know, one of the things that you sign up for. So sure that there's, uh, there's money, there's, you know, glamour, there's girls, uh, you know, involved, of course, with the lifestyle, but this is the life that you have to commit to. Uh, it's an always on sort of, sort of thing. And it is, uh, you know, a situation where your mafia family takes priority over your blood family. Okay. So number six, appointments must absolutely be respected. So this is another one that I, I feel is, uh, of course, spot on. This is something that is definitely uh, an important aspect of, you know, being a made member, uh, being involved in the life. They function on something called the sit down, uh, which for you and me is just a regular business meeting. For them, it's, you know, where they plan their, their activities, they resolve disputes, uh, and have co conversations uh, with other mobsters. And it is very, very technically important if you are a member to be punctual uh, and to show the proper amount of respect during these appointments. So this is a pretty big uh, and important rule. Number seven, wives must be treated with respect. Uh, so as I had said, uh, you know, with the rule about not coveting other wives, uh, this is a rule that I, I see as a bit hypocritical. It may be true. Uh, family, uh, with the exception of any time your mafia family calls, uh, is something that is supposedly held in very high regard. 
There's a, a well-documented case. You can uh, hear about it in Sammy uh, Gravano's book, Underboss, where Carlo Gambino just happened to, you know, in one of the rare occasions that he was in a, a particular diner, uh, and he happened to see another member named Todd Arello, or Tado Arello, uh, as he was known. And Tado was with his mistress, uh, and Carlo called him over and basically called him out on it and said, hey, don't you have any respect for your for your wife uh, that you're going to be seen out in public uh, with your mistress? Not saying you can't do what you want, but show your wife a little respect. So kind of admonished him uh, just a little bit. And and again, this is all hypocritical. Uh, wives in that life are treated horribly. Uh, they are cheated on. Uh, sometimes many times over their husbands end up either dead or in jail. Uh, it is not uh, a good lifestyle. So this is one of those rules that I just think is incredibly hypocritical. Number eight, when asked for any information, the answer must be the truth. Uh, okay, so this is uh, another one. Uh, basically, when you are called to the carpet, when you're called to a meeting as a maid member, whether it be your boss, your underboss, your, your consigliere, your capo, uh, whoever is above you, when they're asking you for something uh, as part of the family, if you do not tell them the truth, you will be killed if they find out that you are lying. Uh, now, again, this is one of those things that is not necessarily always followed. Uh, you know, there, of course, it, the mob exists. The mob is full of liars. Uh, but if you are ever caught red handed, you will be killed. Number nine, money cannot be appropriated if it belongs to others or to other families. Uh, and this one goes to stealing. Uh, it is kind of against the mafia law to steal, uh, whether it be from an individual or from a family. The penalty is death. This is one, of course, that is taken very, very seriously. And number 10, the supposed last 10 commandments or last one of the 10 commandments uh, is people who cannot uh, be part of Cosa Nostra. Anyone who has a close relative in the police, anyone with a two-timing relative in the family, anyone who behaves badly and doesn't hold to moral values. And again, this is a bit of a twisted sense of what morality actually is because these people are bad people. But again, this is kind of their way of uh, you know, creating insulation, filtering out people that they don't believe kind of fit their criteria for being a good member of the family. And of course, anybody who has a background in law enforcement, uh, that just kind of completely goes against, uh, you know, what it means to be a, a member of the mob. Okay, so that was the Ten Commandments. Here are a few other rules that have been popularized over the years. Uh, number one, you must pledge to uphold Omerta, the code of silence, when facing questioning by authorities or outsiders, even if it means death or imprisonment. That's a very serious one. That's probably the number one uh, rule uh, of the mafia. Uh, as uh, Robert De Niro's character plays Jimmy Burke in Goodfellas said, uh, never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Uh, definitely the most important rule. Number two, you do not share family secrets with outsiders, which is essentially anyone who isn't made. Uh, number three, murders must always be approved by the boss. Number four, deal drugs and die. Again, this is one of those really, really hypocritical rules. Uh, I bet you guys didn't know, maybe some of you did know this, but the mafia, especially in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, were the main supplier 
of drugs in the United States. So to have this rule in place, and the rule was kind of put in place uh, because the law enforcement, uh, the, the sentences, the penalties that come with getting caught for dealing drugs are so much more severe and really lend themselves to uh, informants. Uh, the rule was put in place to kind of protect against that. However, the mafia families themselves were at the same time dealing drugs all over the place. Uh, and then, of course, made men should never raise uh, a hand to each other. Uh, made members cannot engage in homosexual activity. Uh, there is a case in 1992 of uh, boss, or I'm sorry, acting boss of the Cavalcante family in New Jersey, John D. Amato, uh, who was killed when he was suspected of engaging in homosexual activity. Uh, so the mob, of course, I don't really personally care one way or the other. Uh, but the mob has a different way of viewing things that tends to, to be on the more conservative uh, side of the house when it comes to sexual orientation. Uh, and overall, to be honest, these rules always kind of make me think of the Pirates Code. Uh, if you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, you'll know what I'm talking about. Throughout the whole movie, you have various characters citing these supposed rules uh, for being a pirate. And it's finally Jeffrey Rush's character, Captain Barbosa, as he's about to break one of the rules that says, the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Uh, and that is, in essence, kind of what the mafia rules are. They offer kind of a basic structure, but you will always be able to find evidence of people breaking the rules, bending them for their own gains or selectively enforcing them. In the end, there's really not much. Uh, in the end, there's not really much honor among thieves. OK, so that is it for today. Uh, we ran a little bit long, so we did not get through the mob slang and the lingo. We will get to that in part three. Also in part three, we'll answer a few additional questions, uh, and we will get into a highlights of the mob, almost like a sports center top 10 uh, throughout the years to bring people up to uh, kind of the big events that have happened in the mob since the formation up to modern day. Uh, if you like this video, please press like. I would appreciate it if you would subscribe to spread the word and help the channel grow. Until next time, grazie. Thank you for listening to the Members Only Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe to help the channel grow. You can also listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time. Don't forget to keep your mouth shut.